Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Three, two, one. Listeners, welcome to Ohio Mysteries, where each episode we will share with you a story that had defied explanation or resolution, confounding authorities and experts for years, decades, and even centuries. I'm your co-host, Stephen Yoder, and with me is our research and storyteller, Paula Schleiss, a multi-award-winning journalist who spent more than 30 years telling these kinds of stories as a reporter with the Akron Beacon Journal. Hi, everybody. All right. So, Paula, you got an old-fashioned treasure hunt for us today. But uh, let me set it up for you a little bit because I, I don't know too much about what we're you know, going to dive into. But I do know the time period. And we're going back to 1754. That's correct, right? I got that date That's right. That's right. All right. And 1754 is going to be the start of the French-Indian War. And uh, this is an intriguing war, uh, something that I didn't pay attention to in school, but this would lead to a bigger situation called the Seven-Year War, and it would actually be almost like a world war. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Philippines, India, you know, um, Germany, uh, just some countries that are not even around, you know, right now. They ended up becoming, you know, this global war. But what we're set here is the very beginning of this conflict, and this is going to be set in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh to be exact. And what we have is we have uh, a governor sending out Major George Washington to tell the French, you need to move out of here. This is not going to, you know, this is going to escalate if you don't. And at this time, George Washington is in the British Absolutely. He's fighting for the British, but he was born in America. So, you know, he's not considered, you know, above the British. And that, that would lead to him actually resigning, you know, before this actual conflict we're talking about, because... He was tired of the American colonists uh, not being paid as much as the British soldier. And even if they were ranked higher, they still weren't ranked higher. You know what I mean? Yeah. uh, The colonists were not that well respected by uh, the the mainstream British. No, no, they weren't. As a matter of fact, uh, he would only come back uh, for this conflict because there was quite a few things that were going on before what we're about to discuss. But this would be the British going to drive the French out and he would actually serve as an aide to their to the British general George Washington would actually come back into the fold you know so uh, why don't you uh, let us know what we're talking about well that's uh, some interesting history I, I would venture to guess a great many of our readers uh, may never even have heard of the French and India War. So the fun part is you don't really have to know all the details of that to really get into the the fun of this treasure hunt story I'm going to tell you about. So let me set this up for you. It's um, uh, actually 1755, year after that uh 
um, war began. And the French are in control of Pittsburgh. Uh, there was a fort there known as Fort Duquesne, and the French were there. And the British are coming, and this is not a good thing. The fort has possession of the French Army's payroll, and this amounts to tons of silver and gold coin. And the French don't want it falling into the hands of their enemy. Not only would it suck to lose all that money, but they'd be funding their enemy. Oh, right. So, not right. a good thing. And morale for soldiers wouldn't be too good. Uh, no, no, yeah. You're not Where's my money? Paid. Where's my money? You're not getting paid, and your enemy just bought a whole bunch of new muskets. So. I wonder how big their, or the French army was at this time, because if they only have 60,000 colonialists, I couldn't imagine it being too big. Yeah, well, definitely the, the colonies were owned by uh, Britain at that time. The French were just trying to... You know, establish. Uh, establish. I mean, they had some. Maybe the Louisiana area. You know, which right. was big, uh, big for the French. Um, but yeah. Um, anyway, they're in Pittsburgh. They're not supposed to be there. The, the British are going to come get kick them out. So the French captain picks a team of uh, ten men and says, "Away with ye! Take this gold and silver to Fort Detroit." Now this is a, you said this is a captain, huh? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. Oh, okay. That, that's called a writer's license. That's okay. that's allowed here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was a lieutenant. Right, Maybe. right. The I'll boss, take the it. French boss, the boss. So these men, uh, they load up. 16 pack horses, and they set off in the direction of Ohio, because that's west toward Detroit, and they're going to follow the Tuscaroras Trail, and it's named that because it crosses the Tuscaroras River. A river, if you live in northeast Ohio, is near and dear to you. Now, there's one big rule for this dispatch, and it's the same rule for getting this gold out of that fort to begin with, and that is don't let the British get this money. So if you are out there on the trail and there's any sign of trouble, bury this treasure (laughs) and mark this. Right, right. Get that thing underground. That's right. Um, Well, sure enough, after several days on the Tuscaroras Trail, the French learn the British are headed their way. Uh Uh-oh, here comes King Koopa. (laughs) (laughs) And they're they're darn close. So the men do what they were told to do. They dig a big hole, and they bury their hoard, and they await their fate. And fate was not kind. I think the one thing that the French could not count on was uh, this detail surviving the episode, and indeed, eight of the ten Frenchmen were killed. Wow! And what, you know, we're talking about you know the the French going to the you know in the Tuscaroras area. That's pretty far away from Pittsburgh. I wonder how. I mean, I, I I don't have any information on it, and I don't know if you either. But I wonder how fast they moved. I mean, that. I think the account that I read was it took about five days till wow. they reached the this part in Stark County where our story is going to. Well, you're lucky. I'm not in the French Army because I it's going to take a lot longer for me to get to. Them. Yeah, it's not like these. You know, it's not like these trails were paved, or you know, in some cases they were probably following animal trails. Well, the human bodies. Probably conditioned for that back then. You know, how else did you get around? You oh, know, back then, right? And wearing those woolen uniforms. And, oh. oh, misery. Oh man, does this tell you a time of the year too? That could even make it worse if it was in the summer. Uh, you know, it might. I don't have that oh. information. If we come across it, that'll be great. Later <laughs> in the story, it might show up because I've got more details to get to. But anyway, eight of, of the ten Frenchmen are killed. And the two who survived, they were able to hide until they could make good their escape. 
Um, but retrieving the gold for them was out of the question. The right. area is overrun with the British, and all they can do is, is get the heck out. Well, I imagine, you know, I, you, you wonder, you know, while well, they start off with warning him, how did it get to, you know, this point? But uh, there was, before Washington came back, there was another attack on that fort where the French ended up putting, like, the heads of the dead British on, you know, pikes and stuff. So they were probably ticked off. Well, yeah. So you've got really good reason, if you're hiding, to just get out of there rather than risk becoming a prisoner of war. Exactly. That's what they did. And, and all of this that I've told you right now appears to be solidly true, even documented. So um, it's not one of those treasure hunt stories like, oh, Peshaw. Do you, do you have a favorite word for things that are preposterous? Oh, no. Um, that's good for me. Preposterous okay. is right. as so far this, as my, this, <laughs> my part, ability goes. <laughs> this part of the story does not appear to be preposterous. So um, now we're going to zip ahead. We're going to go from 1755 to 18. 1829. Ooh, how many years is that? Uh, yeah, don't let me add that up. Yeah, I'm not going to take some math. That would be wrong. 74, maybe? Right, right. And that's the year of the stranger with a capital S, the stranger. He's he's a, a dark-featured, medium-billed man. He's about 35 years old, and he comes riding into Minerva on his steed. On his steed. On his steed. Now, Minerva is a, a small village in Stark County. It's on the border of Carroll County. And worthy of note for this story, it's right on that old Tuscaroras Trail, which roughly follows State Route 30 today. I've been in Minerva a couple times. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, you know, they have a downtown area, area, I believe, too, that is. There. Yeah. So this guy who comes to town, this stranger, he calls himself Lesur. Oh, so he's French. Oh, he's got a French name yes. for a reason, and yes. we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, so he asks the local town folks if there's any lodging in the area, and they happily point him in the direction of a farmer named Sam Neffs, who's known to occasionally keep visitors in his farm. Neffs, what a good name. Neffs. So Sam welcomes the stranger in without raising an eyebrow, but oh, his eyebrows are going to get permanently raised over the next couple of days because he becomes very curious about what Lesur is up to. The stranger's routine is this. Sunrise comes, he saddles up his horse, he trots off, and nobody sees him till sundown when he comes trotting back. So let's set this up. This this um, guy, he, he owns a like a bed and breakfast here, are we uh, talking? Like a, I think he little... was a farmer, and he had a farmhouse with some extra room. Okay. Because they were kind of on this trail, you know, they were probably so he probably, passed through. He's so probably done this before. They pointed their way to him. They pointed this guy to him. So clearly so this guy comes riding in. He's like, okay, I got some place for you to live. And uh, yeah. and he gets a little nosy, huh? probably because the guy's French, maybe. You know? uh, well, um, this whole idea of like, you're in our town, but you're not even going into town. You're just disappearing. Ah. So Sam, the farmer, he decides to stalk his visitor. Oh, that's always awesome. Sure. I love I love going to a hotel where the manager's stalking me when I leave, you know? <laughs> Why is he going to a different restaurant? Why not the restaurant outside my hotel? <laughs> Why is he at Cedar Point and he's not riding roller coasters? <laughs> so on the third day, when the Frenchman gets up and saddles his horse and sets off down the road, Sam is not far behind. And when the stranger leaves the road and goes galloping into the woods about a mile from the farm, Sam stays in pursuit. <laughs> so Sam reports later that he watched his Lesur dismounted, grabbed a stick, and started poking along this hillside. 
Man, I'm glad Lacerda didn't have to take your crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not surprisingly, it doesn't take long for Sam to get busted. It's not like it's going to be easy to gallop after someone in the wilderness right. and not be seen. Right. That's um, really stealth. <laughs> but this Lacerda, he, he seems decent enough. He, Sam's very embarrassed, and, and he's like, oh, well, you know, I just wanted to see if you need any help, and it looks like you're looking for something. And, and Lacerda shrugs and says, yeah, maybe you can help. I'm looking for a spring in this vicinity. And Sam says, well, we have three springs around here and I can take you to them. And Lesore nods knowingly and says, oh yeah, I know about those three. I'm looking for a fourth. Oh, the magical fourth one. Uh, apparently the fourth <laughs> one was key. Surrounded Nobody by, knows why. Surrounded by leprechauns. So, well, yeah. <laughs> so Sam says, uh, you know, three springs would be enough for any ordinary purpose to which the stranger returns cryptically. Mine is not an ordinary purpose. So Lesore is not any more forthcoming than that. He takes his leave of Sam and he rides into the village and he settles in at the tavern and strikes up a conversation with the barkeep. So settles in, meaning that uh, is he gonna? Is he tired of the guy stalking him? So now he's gonna live at this, you know, tavern, or no, is no, just he he's going in, there for, in on a bar. Spot. I gotcha. Okay, okay. <laughs> so he strikes up the conversation with the barkeep. Now, drinking will loosen you up uh, a little bit. Yeah, loosen them yeah. up. Yeah, right. Exactly. During uh, which he asks the barkeep. If he's ever seen a tree in the area with a good-sized rock stuck in the fork of its branch. Um, I can go out in your backyard and find a, a tree with a fork with a rock stuck. Uh, probably not with a rock stuck. Okay, either. okay. So the barkeep, you know, he's going to play along. He says, oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I saw such a tree last year when I was hunting. And the barkeep says, I, I can't remember exactly where it is. Um, maybe I should go out with you and we can look together. And um, Lasura says, you know, okay, you know, let's, uh, let's make plans for that. Well, as soon as Lasura leaves, this barkeep hightails it over to Sam's house because he knows Lasura's staying there. And he says, I was just asked this strange question by this stranger. And Sam says, well, that's not the half of it. I found him poking around looking for a spring. So now they've got two clues. There's a spring he's looking for. He's looking for a, a tree with a rock in the fork. What could possibly be going on? And all of this stirs their memory. And these guys start remembering old man Howe. Ooh, old man Howe. Yeah. Everybody old man needs Howe. old man Howe. He's long dead. <laughs> But he left behind this story he used to tell of how soldiers had once buried their gold in the area. Mm. And so all of this comes back, something nobody had paid attention so to. So they're before. probably knowing that, the, you know, the story had to do with, you know, French soldiers. And here comes this French man. The guy's French. He's looking for, you know, clues in the woods. He's taking a crap in our springs. I mean, what's going on here? This guy's a treasure hunter. <laughs> So, well, it turns out the barkeep wasn't the only one who had lied to Lesseur when he said he knew where the tree was, um, because he didn't. He was just hoping the stranger would guide him to where he was searching. But Sam had also lied because he knew where that fourth stream was. Sam knew? Sam knew. I don't like these Minerva people, man. <laughs> they are not being forthcoming at all. Actually, they were not born yesterday. Okay. Pretty wise to what's going on. So Sam and the barkeep, they head out and decide to have a look for themselves. Well, 
I don't know how long this is going on. I, I, I assume it's not for days, but somehow word gets back to the tavern and the townsfolk start pestering these two men, you know, what's going on. And so they start revealing what they're doing and everybody starts talking about old man Howe and this tall tale and, then gold fever hits. Every, oh, man. Every able-bodied man who owned a shovel. The first gold, probably not the off. first gold rush in America, but... <laughs> probably the first gold rush in Minerva. Yeah, definitely. So, so, of course, none of this activity escapes Lesur, who is still in town. Um, but this guy, I give him credit, you know, he gets credit for me. Apparently, he's very easygoing. He strolls into the tavern. All these men are sweaty and dirty from digging. <laughs> and he's, like, smiling, and he's saying, well, has anybody found the gold yet? And he gets the universal reply, no. So, but Lesur has given up himself. He's been there a while. And would you tell anybody, though, if he did find it, you know? No, I didn't find it. No. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Who do you trust? Right. Who do you trust? Yeah, you're the one who told us about it, but no, I don't know where it is. So, well, so Lesur decides he's going to make this fascinating revelation. And that's where he admits he is the nephew of one of the two soldiers who had survived that attack and had actually buried the gold. Oh, wow. And he says he knows of the existence of this treasure because it was left in a letter that his uncle had written. And he shares the contents of the letter with them. So I'm going to read this letter to you. It was written in French, but this is the English translation because if I read Good, it in I, I French, my, I don't know French, and I'm sure my pronunciation would be <laughs> quite entertaining. Right. Um, but this is as best as the good folks of early 19th century Nerva could remember. I won't make you read it in a French accent. Uh, okay, go, ahead, go ahead and read it normally. Via of the French are. <laughs> sounds a little German. Right. Well, where, my ger- where are we going there, French? man? I could do it in German, but okay, it would spoil it. Okay, here's the letter. We of the French army were defending Fort Duquesne against the British. When it was known that the English were attacking in force, a detail of 10 men and 16 pack horses was selected to carry the French army's gold and silver away from the fort. I was chosen for this detail. Three days and a forenoon later, northwest by west from the fort on the Tuscaroras Trail, our advance scout returned to our little column, announcing a British column advancing on us. The officer in charge of our detail ordered us to stop in our tracks and dig a hole in the ground. He posted a few to guard while the rest of us dug. The gold was unloaded from the horses and placed in the bottom of the hole. Then the silver was lowered into the hole. On top of this, we shoveled the dirt back and covered it with branches. The first British firing began at this time. The digging shovels were put under a log on a hillside. No sooner was this done when the redcoats were upon us. Eight were killed. Only Henry Musel, Henri, Henri Musel, and myself were spared. The English had not noticed where we hid. We made the following marks of the area before we fled. The gold was buried in the center of a sort of square formed by four springs. About one half mile to the west of the hole in which the treasure was buried, Musel jammed a rock into the fork of a tree so that it would stay. 600 steps to the north of the hole are the shovels. As we left by the east, I carved the figure of a deer into a tree, which I judged to be one mile east of the hole. And then the letter ends. 
events following this made it hazardous to return. So it's been nearly two centuries since that letter was discovered, it more was than a, 250 years since the treasure was actually buried. And it was a deer. And there was a deer. I thought it was a it. horse. That's why I passed that one up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It probably just evolved over the years. Probably. I, I would doubt it would even last 10 years. <laughs> so anyway, the spelunkers or map makers or 19th century residents, they, they all seem to be in agreement that these directions pointed directly to the town of Minerva and specifically to land that rests southwest of the intersection of what is the modern day Augusta and Ridge Road. Let's do this. So Augusta and Ridge Road. Nice. So interestingly, this account never included the name of the man's uncle, so we can't give him credit for writing the account. Although it did reveal the name of the other survivor, Henry Henri Musel. And when the townspeople asked, well, what happened to, to Henry? Lucier said uh, he had no idea, and reportedly his last words to the crowd in the tavern were, but if you ever find out, let me know, will you? And with He was that, the smart he, one and got the money in. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, he smiled, he bowed politely, and he stepped out of the door, never to be seen in Minerva again. Of course, this... This was just the beginning for the Minervites, the Minervians, the Minnesotians. Sure, uh, sure, I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> the, the townsfolk continued to dig up the grounds around the town for years. Interest eventually petered. This was a lot like looking for Geraldo Rivera's search for Al Capone's safe, if you remember that fun <laughs> non-story. Nothing. <laughs> that, that fake news story. Right, right. Uh, but things hiked up again on April 3rd, 1875, and that's when the local newspaper, the Minerva Commercial, printed a feature and got the townsfolk to recollect what they remembered about Lasura's visit to the town wow. years ago. So this tale was read by a new generation who quickly dragged out their shovels. And over the years, there have been reports of really interesting stories shared by treasure hunters. There, there was a Mr. Rigby who said he discovered a cache of ancient shovels protruding from a mound. Wow. Uh, there was a Mr. Whitaker who was cutting down a dead tree, and as it fell, the trunk split open, and a, lo- a large rock fell out of, of where the fork was. And actually, there's a local man who has a possession of the rock that so was found that day. talking about a rock that was put up in the tree. Yes, oh, in the fork okay. of the tree. Okay. Yes, yes. I'm going to go down there and just start putting rocks and forks in trees. So, just some freaking those people out. Oh, that start would carving my deer or that horses. And, <laughs> and then there was a, an Elson Robbins who said uh, he found what appeared to have been the silhouette of a deer carved into a tree that this tree had um, something had happened to this tree and the bark fell off oh. and beneath the bark was a carving and it looked like a deer's head you know, well, I found one that had the face of Jesus on there. So, so okay, well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, Ohio has a few of those mysteries, too. That's right. So, and then in 1952, there was a report of a free-range chicken that was butchered, and there was an 18th-century gold coin found in its stomach. Whoa! And that story ended up in a, a book, so there seems to be some, you know, wow. plausibility to, to that story. Some good Minerva chicken. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, I wonder if Barberton Chicken Chicken would even be more popular if they started putting 18th century they need, that's right. coins and you know one in every breast. That's right. Yeah. Actually, barbecue chicken is delicious. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's what found them. They found the Minerva Gold. How much there. better would it be though if you took a little bite of chicken and, and like a little like an oyster? Find yes. the pearl and you can exactly. find a gold coin in the chicken. 
<laughs> well, others found old muskets and human bones. Some of them believed to have been from that 1755 battle. And each time something like this happened, interest in the gold was revived, that people started tearing up the hillside. Uh, back in the 1950s, the owner of the property even welcomed searches, saying, anybody's welcome to come dig up my land. You just have to promise to split the gold with me 50-50. Wow. That certainly seems fair to me. I don't know. I mean, I don't think I could do that. No, I didn't find it. I I, yeah, well, you might have to go out and kind of supervise everything. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so what do you think, Steve? I've, I've got a metal detector if you want to give it a go. Well, uh, I, I'll bring my Pokemon Go. I think if we see a bunch of Pokemon pop up in one area, it might mean it's Something, so. Well, if that happened, maybe we can make, name a Pokemon, you know, write in and request a Pokemon named right. Lesur. There you go. Henri. Something. Pokemon Henri. I mean, you see these Pokemons, they pop up in special places, you know, you yeah. never know. It's a sign. That's right. I mean. Well, to be honest, there, there are a few things that nag at me. I'm, I'm kind of kind of convinced that this happened. But yeah, I think on some level about whether yeah. this gold is still around. And right. On, on some level, I guess, you know, um, you, you have to know that when it comes to gold and treasure, there's always going to be some stuff in there that's not true. So what do you think is, yeah. what do you, what do you feel about well, that? Well, first and foremost, that Henri Musel has never been accounted for. So could he have gone back for the treasure himself? Or at the very least, would he have made his way to Fort Detroit, reported what happened? Would the French have truly given up on trying to go back and recover that money? I mean, it was their payroll. You know, I, I don't know. It, it seems too easy. Like, ah, oh, we lost our, our entire army's payroll. That's Oh, well. You know? So I don't know. Could they have gone back or even... Henry Musel himself have gone back. Or what if the British, you know, right before they killed the last person, they said, where is it? You know? Oh, well, that's, you don't know. Yeah. And then second, you know, the contents of the letter was shared by a Lesseur who translated it from the French. And, you know, he was awfully free with the details for a guy who was out there trying to find that treasure for himself. And I keep wondering if he you know, added something to the letter or took something away from that letter that was going to make the location. He added the dare carving. <laughs> yeah. Maybe or, the rock know, in the tree. Maybe there were only two springs or, you know, I mean, they had to take his word that he was telling that. Well, are there four springs down there? I wonder if there is. Well, you know, that's the, the other thing that's, that's really hard. Springs, they can dry up, they can move, they can disappear. You know, could streams that existed there in 1755 still have been there in the mid-1800s? Yeah, that's the true. Was going on? I, you know, I, I'm not sure streams work that way. Yeah. Well, you know, Minerva's luck, they probably paved right over the gold and it's under the street somewhere. There you go. You know. There you go. So you really, when you take a metal detector out, we need to just run it over the me over the roads. Right, right. So, I don't have a metal detector, though. I, mean, I do. I do you? Do. Yeah. So, it's a, it, this, is, this could happen for us. Huh. Nice. Nice. And then some of the modern stories are really strange. Like, Elson Robbins says he found the figure of the deer carved into the tree. That tree would have had to have been well over 100 years old. Oh, yeah. And after 100 years of growth, you're not you really no. seeing a carving of a deer. I mean, I imagine it would have been distorted in right. such a way that it would not have looked like a carving at all. So, right. so then it makes me wonder about some of those modern stories. There are treasure hunters who absolutely believe all of these things, and they, they still go out looking. Um, I don't know if I would have time to carve a deer, you know. 
I mean, is that really the best symbol to leave as a deer? The British are coming. They're about to kill us. But let me put some antlers on. There we go. Well, that's, that's a good point. They're firing at us. Wait. Hold on. I'm not done with the antler, Bob. Oh I don't like that deer I did. I'm going to Right. Try to Bob, just hold him off for a little bit longer. I'm gonna, oh, he's dead. <laughs> You know? <laughs> okay. Whatever I carved there, it stayed. Henri, we got to right. go hide. We got to go now, Henri. It's it's no. there. But it looks like a horse. No. <laughs> it's a deer, Henri. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Henri's back. I think he's the one who has it. I think he's back in France, and Benjamin Franklin's coming over ten or fifteen years later. You know, and partying with them. There's probably some billionaire in France today, and he owes all of his. Uh, his wealth to right. his great 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 grandfather who fought the French and Indian War and returned to France with with some money. So most likely, it probably went back to the French Army or the British found it. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say that. That's probably blasphemous to Minerva <laughs> and uh, the treasure hunters there. Probably. Uh, I mean, I do want to keep hope alive out there. Keep but, hope alive. You know. Everybody yeah. loves a Don't ruin the treasure hunts. Well, I mean, if the chicken is the true thing, that means that some of it's still there. Maybe you know. Maybe it's filled out a little That's bit. Right. I don't know. That's right. If the story of the chicken is is true and somebody was convinced enough they added it to a historical book then you know where to get that so. right i guess i'm a little more skeptical uh, my wife likes to watch oak island i'm like they just planted that there they planted it there <laughs> don't get me started on oak island <laughs> uh, I, it's like watching Geraldo. right and then the al capone's well every episode i'm like we are nowhere further than we were three seasons ago. Why am I right. watching this? Right. I, I, the announcer, too. Oh, what does he say? He says something like, um, uh, you know, I just forget how he phrases it, but it's it's horrible. I'll probably cut that one anyway. So. <laughs> cut and edit. Cut and edit. <laughs> well, now you got to leave it because it's funny. True, true. So. But yeah, I, I I don't know. But you know, Minerva—they they are owning the story. They are—I don't know if they still do it, but for years they had a lost gold festival. And they, they still do it, I believe. Do they? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it just um, just uh, I think it was just this year, maybe last year. They were there were stories they bought it again, and you know, local Minerva, you know, and yeah. people are going down there still searching today for this. Lost gold. I, I saw online there was like a historical marker somewhere in town where they, they tell the story briefly. And, right. And one of those. So they are owning it, and it's uh, it's fun. So well, if you I find it, it's still out there. And if you find it, head on over to our webpage, ohiomysteries.com, and click on our Patreon link and give us some of that gold. Yes. Right? <laughs> I, I need some more Pokemon balls, and I can, you know, I could buy with using the Patreon money. <laughs> I think that would be a great use. Of, you know, we'll just take one, one gold coin. Absolutely. Yeah. Just one. Just right. one. You can have we'll take one, maybe two. So, Steve, I was mentioning uh, the story of the French gold to an acquaintance of mine who lives in Carroll County, and lo and behold, she has her own and very different buried treasure story uh, involving her own property, and she's agreed to talk to us about it. So, hi, Vicki. Hi. My husband, Denny's on the phone, too. Oh, wonderful. Well, thanks so much for taking out uh, some time from your day to, to chat with us. So, listeners, if you're on Facebook, you probably have a social media friend or two or a hundred that you've never actually met. And to be honest, I don't 
even really recall how Vicky became a social media friend of mine because we had not met in life, uh, real life, until recently. But after meeting Vicky, I, in talking to her, it makes me wonder what other great stories are hidden in my friends list because Vicky turned out to be a true buried treasure herself. So for starters, Vicky and her husband, Denny, did you say? Uh, started a charity called Angels on Track, and it's a it's a foundation. And after a very tragic, the very tra tragic loss of their son 23 years ago, um, to a train that was crossing an intersection where there were no warning lights or bars. And in the 23 years since then, they've used their foundation to upgrade what about 100 unmarked railroad crossings. Um. Close to 80, I believe. Yeah, every year um, the state selects crossings from our dangerous crossing reports and uh, upgrades the crossings with gates and lights. Well, that that is amazing. So thank you but there's a, a completely different reason we're calling Vicki today, and that's, uh, as I said, she lives in Carroll County, but in an area where the historic Morgan's Raid came through. And according to some local lore, she might be sitting on a buried treasure from the Civil War era. So Vicki, let's set the historical scene here. D do you know anything about Morgan's Raid? Um, well, actually, Denny and I did a little research this morning before you called because we only knew what was shared with us from the previous owners. And um, what, and Denny, you jump in whenever. Um, we read that the um, Morgan's uh, cavalrymen started to move northward through um, um, what Indiana, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and they ended up in a campsite, um, we were told, here close to our on our property, supposedly, and down the road from us on Route 39 is where they had a battle with the Union soldiers and were killed capt and captured. And there is a marker on Route 39 close to our house where this marker, uh, you know, lets people know where the battle was. Yeah, you know, I have to admit, I didn't know anything about this raid until you had mentioned it. So I did a little homework, too. And it's uh, really kind of a, an entertaining bit of Civil War history. So let me fill in a couple of gaps. Um, the year is 1863, so this is a good century after the French gold story that we just related. And this Confederate officer by the name of Major General John Morgan, you know, he's from the South, he thinks it really sucks that most of the fighting in the Civil War is taking place in his beloved South. And he figures it's time to bring the terror of the war up north so that the civilians in the north can get a taste of it and demand that their soldiers come home. And by causing some disruptions, he figured, you know, the Union Army, they're going to have to deploy some resources up here, and, and that will take them away from the, the campaigns in the south. So for four months, he led 2,500 Confederate soldiers from Tennessee through all the states that Vicki had mentioned all the way into northern Ohio, raiding some 4,500 homes and businesses along the way, destroying some a few dozen bridges, wrecking some railroad crossings, um, and just causing enough of a panic that he succeeded in getting the attention of the Union Army. 
And like I said, this spree lasted for four months in the northernmost skirmish between Morgan's Raiders and the Union soldiers took place in Carroll County near your home. And right. after that, Morgan finally surrendered. Um, and now there's, there doesn't appear to be any written documentation from Morgan or his men that they had buried a treasure there, but they were found with nothing. And so it, it leads many to think if you're spending four months acquiring valuables uh, during all of these raids, how are you captured and you have nothing? You know, it only kind of makes sense that they buried it sometime soon before that final skirmish. So, um, well, to Danny, Danny had a conversation with a previous property owner um, about the stories that he had heard years ago when he bought the property, and he actually found some uh, old relics on the property. So can I ask him to share that with you now? Oh, I would love to hear that. Yeah, he said that uh, back when he first bought the property, uh, back in the back area of our property, he found like old wagon wheels and things like that where he assumed that they had a uh, camp. And there was supposed to, there's like a rock wall back there. From whenever they cleared the property, they just, everybody threw rocks, you know, between uh, pastures and between uh, places where they would uh, uh, plant vegetables and stuff. So they had this big rock wall and they had always assumed that they had buried it in this rock wall. Well, I imagine people have looked for this for a long time, have never found it, but we we do know where the rock wall is. We've seen that, but we've never seen anything back there. Have you taken metal detectors or shovels to any of that? We have, I've done that. I've done a, uh, I mean, I don't do very well with this metal detector, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I have taken it back a couple times, but I've never found anything. Are, but, are uh, you guys- one of those things. Are you familiar with the, in 2015, that team of relic hunters that got permission from the Carroll County Historical Society to, to do some digging on their land? Uh, I read about it in the paper down here, but I don't know much about it. No. Well, I, I found the article, and it said, um, you know, they came up, the Carroll County Historical Society, they had about an acre of land, that was all, that they that was connected to the raid. But when they started digging there, the neighbors are like, oh, do my yard too, do my yard too. And by the time they were done, they had done a, a pretty huge section of, of Carroll County there. And um, they found over 200 artifacts, and they, they believe, you know, up to a half of those artifacts came right from that Morgan's Raid period. And there were things like bullets from that era and um, uh, a horse stirrup they were particularly excited about. So who knows? There, there may be some things there. You know, it may not be the kind of gold that you're looking, you know, that anybody's looking for when they're looking for treasures, but... If you're finding those kinds of artifacts, they're, they're a treasure of a different kind, that's for sure. I yep. thought it was interesting that that previous owner said that he found old wagon parts and wagon wheels back there in the woods, you know. I would love to find something like that. And just to connect my property to that kind of, a, of an era, that would be an amazing discovery. Well, thank you guys so much for speaking with us and, and sharing your story. Listen, you let us know if you uh, ever discover that rumored treasure. We'll, we'll, we'll do, do an update. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Thank 
Well, Steve, let's uh, close this episode with a note about how things turned out for our intrepid John Morgan. Uh, he was a very handsome man, by the way. So oh, let's, yeah. Like me. Uh, yeah, very, yeah. <laughs> Got the beard going. I, right. I think we should get his picture up on the website. He's, he's worth some oogling. Anyway, after capture, he and his fellow officers were taken to the Ohio State Penitentiary. Wow. They were there uh, barely four months when Morgan and six others escaped by tunneling from their cells to an air chamber below. They climbed over a 25-foot wall with the help of a homemade rope and grappling hook. And then they casually hopped on a train to Cincinnati and crossed the Ohio River. Wow, just right out of prison break. Uh, You know, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, this guy led 2,500 soldiers on a raiding spree that lasted four months. I'd be surprised to hear a few still bars could have held him. Right. (laughs) So Morgan made good his escape the day after Thanksgiving, and by Christmas dinner, he was home with his wife, Maddie, in in Danville, Virginia. And uh, so we're going to leave this story with that happy ending and not mention that he was shot to death the following year because I want to think he lived a long productive life doing all kinds of adventurous and daring things alright alright good stuff thank you that's it for now be sure to visit our website at ohiomysteries.com where we have our photos news clippings videos links associated with each and every episode And if you like our podcast, there are a few ways you could support us. First and foremost, please tell your friends and family about us. You can also visit our Facebook page and like us. Share our link on your own Facebook as well. And follow us on Twitter. On our website, you'll also find links to our Patreon page, where you can send a little spare change our way. Or go directly to patreon.com, that's P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com and search for Ohio Mysteries. For a donation as small as a dollar a month, we'll give you a personal shout out on a future podcast as well as our heartfelt thanks. And there are special perks for other tiers on our Patreon. Steve, nobody likes to ask for money, especially us. These podcasts are truly a labor of love. But until we land that major national sponsor, Every little bit will help pay the expenses we incur with bringing you these stories each week. So, enough of that. Thanks for joining us this week. And we'll see you next week for another Ohio Mystery. Until then, keep the fire burning and happy camping. upon the big boy interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood introducing neighbor to neighbor a california volunteers network that empowers you to take action contribute to local needs and be a part of something bigger than yourself visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community neighbor to neighbor it takes a neighborhood hello